Welcome back to Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams. And this week, I sit down once again with InsideHockey.com college hockey analyst Chris Lynch to preview the NCAA tournament. Conference championship weekend burst college hockey's bubble and reshape the bracket on the fly. At the end, some teams that thought they were pretty safe were knocked out of the NCAAs before they even began. We recorded this on Wednesday when news about Minnesota coach Don Lucia stepping down was fresh. We have to start with a bit of breaking news today. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. And this morning it came out that the University of Minnesota's longtime coach, Don Lucia, is stepping down as head coach. So Minnesota is another team entering the coaching carousel. And what a tenure for, for Don Lucia. An incredible ride. He spent 37 years as the head coach. Uh, as a head coach in uh, in college hockey, he got his start in 1987 with Alaska Fairbanks. Moved on to Colorado College in uh, from 1987 to 1993 with Alaska. Most of that time, they were an independent school, and the last year they he made it a 20 win team. The next year in 9394, he moved on to Colorado College back when it was the, still in the WCHA. So, and he led them a couple times to deep into the NCAA tournament, including one time to the National Frozen Four in uh, 1997. So he saw some success there. And then he saw his greatest time of triumph in Minnesota, where he was the head coach from 1999 until this season. And an amazing, amazing run with back to back national championships in 2002 and 2003 couple times winning the WCHA, almost won the national championship in 2014. A great coach, a real winner, 722 wins for his career. So a remarkable career by Mr. Lucia. We hope that he enjoys retirement. And this is, we're seeing a wave of transition of college hockey coaches now with this year, Coach Lucia and Coach Humili at New Hampshire. And last year, uh, Coach Red Berenson at Michigan stepping down. So this is another in a wave of the old guard is starting to hang them up. And you can even say that started a couple of years before that with Jack Parker at Boston University, the longtime you know, BU guy stepping down and entering retirement and enjoying his retirement. The... Yeah, it's these guys have been around for a long time. They've they've done a lot and it just seems like they're going out in a wave as you mentioned. That's it's going to be interesting and it's leading to some transition, but a lot of these schools are going to be looking possibly within for their replacement as well because a lot because for example in New Hampshire's case, they had been grooming a replacement pretty much with the coach's permission. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a special case in which they had a secession plan for Mike Souza. So that's uh, that's just one way that, that – I don't think most programs will go quite that far. I think they're always going to try and hire their own because what better kind of person to run the program than a person who's in it and a person who's uh, really managing the whole deal. So there's plenty of people who – 
Minnesota could go after. I mean, they they get their first choice of absolutely anyone they want, though. Could you imagine Mark Dennehy moving on from Merrimack College to Minnesota? I would be very intrigued to see what a coach of Dennehy's caliber could do with all the resources that the Gophers could throw around. Yeah, that would be it would be interesting. It will be something to see what the candidates are going to end up being for that Minnesota job. We we're just finding out about this today. So it's going to be a little bit before we have an idea of where Minnesota wants to look for their next coach, but they could do a lot worse and it would be it would be quite a turn of events to see him end up at one of the old blue bloods of college hockey with so many resources after kind of going against the grain and fighting uphill the entire time at Merrimack. Oh yeah. I mean, and he was an, and he was an honorable fighter there with all the resources. I can't help but expect some championships to uh, come down the way for, uh, for Minnesota. They've not won a frozen four since 2000, uh, uh, since 2003 was the last time that they won. So it's that time of year when you start really looking at the coaching changes. And uh, man, is it interesting to get to see where these programs are going. And I feel bad for Lucia for one particular thing. His team for this year's NCAA tournament missed by point zero 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 one points in the pairwise, the smallest margin possible for them missing the NCAA tournament. And really the only scenario possible with the way everything played out with the teams winning the at-large bids, Minnesota is on the outside looking in. And that's, that's a crying shame that, uh, that Don Lucia will not be coaching in the NCAA tournament in his last year of coaching. That's just, I can't help but look at that and think, man, that is kind of sad. Well, that spills into our recap of last week and the conference championships because since January on this podcast, you and I have been talking about the supposed NCAA tournament bubble, those teams sitting between 14 and 17 on the pairwise rankings that are fighting for those last spots that we thought would be there in the NCAA tournament. And it turns out there was never any bubble, or if there was, it was burst pretty quickly on Friday night with some upsets in these tournaments. And it turns out, with the exception of the NCHC, where I don't think you could say anyone would have been an upset victor in that conference, all that those teams are so good, and the Big Ten, where it was won by Notre Dame at home, Every other conference championship ended in not only an upset, but a pretty big upset. And it really upset the apple cart and changed the NCAA tournament drastically at the last moment. Yeah, where do we start with all these upsets? Because uh, I've never seen a tournament field. This will bleed into our discussion on the bracket itself, but I've never seen an NCAA tournament this wide open. And I will also say that the I don't think the Atlantic Hockey was uh, results were really an upset because I think if we consider Air Force winning the whole thing to be not an upset. Robert Morris beating Mercyhurst, that was. But Air Force getting in, I don't think that was an upset. Everywhere else, uh, for the ultimate tournament champion, I'd say so. But 
Really, the ECAC, I think, is the most surprising result out of all of these tournaments. And that's a good place to start because they the upset started early in the ECAC. I remember watching a lot of Friday evenings game between Princeton and Cornell on Twitch because through 11 sports, they actually broadcast the ECAC championship game on Twitch and and the entire tournament. So I was watching Princeton and Cornell through that, and Princeton controlled that game in a way that nobody expected and really smothered Cornell out of the ECAC tournament. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of incredible the fact that what they did what Princeton did was they found a way to rattle Matt Galeta, and they got two goals on them in the second period, and they they didn't let the game get away from them in the first after Trevor Yates scored to open up the scoring late in the first period. They found an antidote, and they managed to rattle Matt Galeta, and I will I'll mention this when I talk about Cornell's chances a little bit moving on. I am a bit concerned now because about them because – they were a favorite team, but they are a young team. And this will be Galeta's first real time that he has to prove in a bounce-back situation that he can come back from a tough defeat or a tough performance as he had against an offensive team. And the more I look at it and the more I realize Princeton offensively is an unbelievably gifted unit. I mean, Varanau is the second leading scorer in the nation. Ryan Kuffner is fourth, filling in the blanks between Adam Gaudet and Dylan Sakura at one and three. So if you have scoring like that, and if your goaltender plays up to his potential, you can absolutely win. So the more I look back on it, the more I realize, you know, we could see it coming, but that's only with hindsight. In the moment, it's really quite shocking that uh, that. Cornell did not win the ECAC tournament this year. And that was coupled with um, Clarkson had to go to overtime and escape by the skin of their teeth over a Harvard team that led most of the late game on Friday in the ECAC. It looked like Harvard and Ryan Donato were going to move on to the final for most of this game. And Clarkson kind of came from way behind to win this game to win and move on to the final to play Princeton. It was a particularly painful way for the Crimson season to end because they were up two, uh, they were up three to one at the end of the second period. And then Ty Pelton by scores six seconds into the third period to give the Crimson a four to one lead. And at that point you're thinking, okay, then uh, the Crimson have a big enough lead that they can put it away. Nine seconds later, Nick Pirog comes down and scores for the Golden Knights, and then they get a huge scoring binge in the, binge in the first four minutes of the period and tie it up. And They played a game like this early on in, uh, earlier in the season at Clarkson when Harvard was up by three goals and it ended up being in the third period, and it ended up being a 6-6 six to six tie. These teams have played very entertaining, offensively heavy matchups, and it's just a shame that the great career of Ryan Donato came to an end when 
Sheldon Rempel landed a uh, shot in overtime to defeat the Crimson after Sherman banged the post for the Crimson. I mean, the, the ECAC tournament had a quality level of games, and I think we could say pretty happily for Ryan Donato, congratulations on signing your contract with the Bruins. I, me as a Bruins fan, I'm happy. I'm sure you as a Lightning fan are looking at that and thinking, uh-oh. But uh, <laughs> so... Uh, it's a great run for Harvard, an unfortunate ending for, for their season, and that did put them out of potential tournament contention. I think immediately a lot of people started watching the scoreboards as these conference tournaments unfolded because teams that thought they might be pretty safely in suddenly looked at the ECAC and at Hockey East and thought, Maybe not, because in Hockey East with Boston College, Boston University came in and beat them. They, and by the way, BU has lost a grand total of three games in 2018. They went to overtime in a very long game, a very entertaining game at the TD Garden. Chris, you were there. I was, and... uh for actually putting my story together, I was uh, as impartial as I could possibly get. Well, actually, no. For writing the story itself, I didn't show it any bit that I am a BU alum, a BU fan. But internally, especially after how controversial last year's Hockey East tournament game and this this semifinal game between these teams was, it was such bliss because it was a great game. I mean, there was a goalie interference penalty that was called against BU that cost a goal. So, you know, that, of course, that ended up happening. But, you know, uh, the team rallied back. They uh, they tied the game up pretty late on in, in the third period and won in overtime. And it was another classic BU-BC game. What's crazy about that game from a larger perspective is that after – the game was done. Jerry York was holding out hope that his team could still make it in, and he needed uh, North Dakota to come up with a victory And uh, in the consolation game in the NCHC, and they're the only tournament that has one. So, unfortunately, they didn't. So there's a lot of time and a lot of space on uh, for th- crazy things to happen in this tournament. BC is one of these teams that is sitting on the outside because of some of the fluke responses that that happened in both their scheduling and in the tournament season this year. Yeah, they and North Dakota quickly ended up in the same boat because North Dakota lost the early game in the NCHC frozen faceoff in overtime to St. Cloud State on Friday evening. So both they and Boston College started looking at these results. And of course, BC needed North Dakota to win. But as the ECAC and Hockey East started to unfold the way they did, it closed the door on a lot of teams. And the one that I think is, you know, we've already touched on it. The one I think would be most surprised would be Minnesota. We'll get to that in a second. But the ECAC final... Princeton once again pulled off the upset and they pulled it off in overtime, even though Clarkson suddenly took the momentum late in the game. And um, by by late in the game, it you can't get much later than what Clarkson did because this was the narrative about Princeton being a high powered offensive team is true, but for most of this game, 
they were leading. Like they were up one to nothing after Josh Tevis got a goal from Kuffner and Baranow on the assist, two leading assist players, go figure. Uh, and late on in that game, Clarkson pulled their goaltender and was awarded a power play. So with a six on four and with six and a half or so seconds left to go in regulation in the ECAC tournament, Josh Dickinson tied the game to force overtime. And to their credit, Princeton could have absolutely folded and thought that the Cinderella ride for them was over. But to their credit, they didn't. They battled back, and Max Becker got the overtime winner really early on in the extra session, only 237 into the uh, into the extra period. So an incredible performance after all is said and done by Princeton to upset their way to the to the NCAA tournament. I'd say if it weren't for Michigan Tech, then they'd be the clear favorites for the biggest upset team to reach it. But an incredible performance. Good job, Princeton. And I, I don't think they'll make a ton of noise in the NCAA tournament, but I think they will provide some entertaining challenges. And with Princeton winning, that immediately ended the chances for Boston College to even dream about a an at-large bid. It essentially eliminated North Dakota, who, even though they won the consolation game in the NCHC tournament, North Dakota found themselves on the outside looking in quite the same way for the same reason. And when BU upset a Providence team that really gutted out one of the one of their signature wins of the season in the semifinal over Northeastern. When BU beat that Providence team to win Hockey East and take that at-large bid away too, there went North Dakota, there went Minnesota. And suddenly these teams that looked like they had been comfortably in the tournament since, oh, I don't know, November, were eliminated just sitting there watching the scoreboards. It, I've never seen anything like this in college hockey where these late results just started picking off bubble teams one by one. It was the craziest round of uh, NCAA hockey that I think of. Yeah, I, I could say the same thing. It's the craziest bit that I've ever seen. And if I may for a moment just explain the BU fan base on this Hockey East tournament, because this this was the happiest that I've ever seen the BU fan base in total, even more so than uh, 15 when uh, Eichel was here and when we went on our run to the national championship game. Because beating BC in overtime, especially after how controversial last year was against the Eagles. It was such a satisfying performance that uh, it was, it, it was un- beyond compare. Until the next night when we played Providence, and that senior class that's on BU right now were, were freshmen on the team that lost to Providence in the national championship game. And they very clearly remembered having their hearts shattered by the Friars. So they were out to get a victory and through a magnificent performance by Jake Ottinger and good timely offense from everybody else, particularly Drew Melanson, they managed to get the victory. And I was a very happy BU fan after getting personally my heart completely ripped out 
by Providence in 2015. It, it, it was some measure of uh, retribution and some member uh, measure of getting back to uh, actually being successful at this level and against these teams. So it was it was absolutely fabulous. I'm quite certain that Princeton and all their fans felt the same way about uh, their ride as well of how just how fabulous it felt. BU's run to the Hockey East Championship reminds me a fair amount of Northeastern in 2016 when they had a terrible start to that season and looked kind of left for dead in the standings and then came back with losing, I think it was three games for their entire 2018 slate. Or I mean, not, not 2018, 2016 slate of mm-hmm. that half of the season where they just finished on fire and won the hockey East championship. And there was a lot, like you said, with BU, there was a lot to do with the seniors on that team and wanting to get one run in and wanting to kind of slay some demons as it were. So I saw a lot of that in the BU run to the hockey East championship. And I think they did a fantastic job a team that for a lot of the, since January, I think we've been kind of looking at BU as still a team that hadn't played to their potential, even though I think they were, they, they only really have lost. They've only lost three times since January. And those few times that they lost, they didn't have Jordan Greenway playing on the team. So they didn't have their full unit together now they do and they're going into the ncaa tournament with some real momentum so it's crazy what a couple of months and some wins will do so college hockey is a weird thing i mean sports in general is in large part about your momentum going into particular matchups ahead of uh, ahead of the game and i think this year for this year for bu and also i would say this year for michigan tech similarly Winning the WCHA for the second year in a row was a pretty similar thing for them. Yeah, Michigan Tech winning the WCHA in a 2 nothing victory on Saturday night over Northern Michigan, another team that found itself right in the mix to possibly make the NCAA tournament with a fantastic regular season. And they fall by the wayside as Michigan Tech pulls off the upset and wins it. But it's not that much of an upset because, as you mentioned, they had been they had come in as defending conference champions and they defended their title. And they did a great job, especially since they had a coaching change at the end of last season, which uh, their their old guy is now over at uh, at Michigan. So it's. Uh, it's kind of crazy the way that the year worked out for them, and they they completely changed their uh, their a lot of their culture, their uniforms. They brought on Joe uh, Joe Shawan. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but I'm going to go with Joe Shawan to be their head coach, and he was outstanding leading his uh, leading his team into into a championship contention again. So. And I think this Michigan Tech team this year is a bit stronger than last year. So good job to uh, to the Huskies. And I'm happy to see two teams in from the WCHA, them and Mankato, because I think they deserve it. I would have liked to see Northern in, 
But with Princeton and BU coming back and winning the titles at large in uh, in the ECAC and Hockey East, there wasn't a lot of room for uh, for the other teams to get in. Yeah, the uh, again because of these conference championships, the at large bid kind of became a non factor. There were the the top ten teams were pretty much already in. And then you add in Penn State, who also got, who earned themselves an NCAA bid. There was no room for a lot of these teams that had some great seasons. Again, Minnesota and North Dakota were left on the cutting room floor. So there's, it it says a lot about how good this season has been in college hockey. That we can argue that, well, we can at least suggest that there were four teams that but for a couple of breaks could have been in this NCAA tournament and depending on the matchup they got could have been a force to be reckoned with within it. And you know, what's even crazier about uh, just take a moment to uh, recognize how great the programs at BC, North Dakota and Minnesota have been this year is the first time that all three of those teams have missed the tournament since 1977 when it was a five-team tournament i always have to take a moment and uh, marvel at just how good and how successful those programs have been a remarkable performance and uh it it is a shame that uh we won't be seeing those programs in but i think all of the teams that are in the tournament this year are completely deserving of uh of their their spot in the tournament well, that's the benefit of having these upsets and having this conference championship weekend break the way it has. The teams that pulled those upsets had to do it. They actually had to get on that late season run that spills into the playoffs and wins them the conference championship. And meanwhile, anyone that got in that large bid had to have made an ironclad case before these tournaments began because all the at large bids for the supposed bubble teams just dried up at the last minute. So when we're talking at large teams, we're talking teams like Clarkson and Northeastern who've put together fantastic seasons as opposed to some years where there's an argument over which team should get in and which team shouldn't this year, as many great teams as we were talking about that didn't make it, I don't think we really have an argument about who should get in and who shouldn't. I think that went by the wayside because of the way that Saturday broke. I'll agree with that. And something else that's remarkable of the number one seeds in this tournament, St. Cloud, Ohio state and Cornell were all at large bids. None of them won their conference tournaments. Only Notre Dame won their conference tournament, which does speak to the skill and power of the Big Ten that they have two of the top uh, top seeds in the NCAA tournament. But the three, three of the at-large bids, including the number one overall seed in St. Cloud State, ended up being at-large bids, and they had to have had rock-solid iron cases that they absolutely deserved to get in and, it speaks to the parity that exists in this sport. 
it's a great time to get to be a college hockey fan. And I maintain that regional weekend is the is my favorite weekend of the year because you get to see all the madness unfold and you get to see all the uh, you get to see all the results of these conferences meeting and going at it. It's a beautiful thing. So I think it's time to get into the actual tournament itself. And what better place to start with the number one overall seed, St. Cloud State. They're taking on an Air Force team that is not to be overlooked. Last year, they pulled an upset in the NCAA tournament and almost made it to yeah, almost made it beyond just one upset there. They were a tough out, and they're going to be a tough out this year. And the winner of that game will take on the winner of Minnesota Duluth versus Minnesota State Mankato, which a lot of these games are toss-ups, but the two Minnesota teams playing each other here, State and Duluth, that's going to be something to see. Not not to not to pass over. St. Cloud State and Air Force is going to be a great game. But I also think that Minnesota State and Minnesota Duluth is a proper headliner for that for that region. Oh, it's a great couple of matchups. And I'll spend a little bit of time on the uh on that Air Force St. Cloud game because I was I feel like I was one of the few people who actually predicted that Air Force would make that kind of run because they were so good defensively and so good um, on the power play and so good with their goaltending. And they were that again this year. They switched goaltenders. Billy Christopoulos became the starter after uh, after their guy they had last year, whose name I'm completely blanking on. I remember in a little bit, but after the goaltender from uh, Shane Sterrett, after Sterrett left, before graduating from the academy and being commissioned into the Air Force and decided to play pro hockey. So Christopoulos struggled early on in the year, and I think that's why Air Force struggled. But that unit has been together. The uh, the Phil Bogies, the uh, uh, you know, the Eric Baskins, the uh, the Evan Geislers, the Kyle Hacks, and none of those guys are particularly high-scoring players. Eric Baskin is the highest scorer for Air Force, and in Atlantic hockey, he's 28th in terms of scoring overall. But what they do is grind you into the ground defensively and make you work for everything you have. The good thing for St. Cloud is they can play that kind of game and they can win. I mean, with Borgen and Jimmy Schultz headlining their blue line. I think they could play pretty much any style they want. So I do think St. Cloud will win that game, but it's going to be a fun matchup. And you are right about the uh, about the headliner for the most competitive game being the Duluth Mankato matchup because Duluth is trying to get back to their second consecutive Frozen Four and try to win the national championship as opposed to how it ended last year. And meanwhile, Mankato is trying to make a name for himself, for themselves. And if they're ever going to win and uh, make it to the Frozen Four, this is the year for the Mavericks to make it there. And I like the Mavericks out of that bracket. I, I think St. Cloud State is a great team. They've been great all year. 
everyone's been following them throughout the year. They've been the class of the NCHC, which itself is the class of college hockey this year. But Minnesota State, I think they might be the best team in the country. I really do. I think they're – I'd like them to come out of this bracket. I can't wait to see Minnesota State play Minnesota Duluth. That's going to be a fun game out of the Sioux Falls region. And what a game it will be. I really like the idea of Minnesota State and St. Cloud State playing on Saturday. That talk about a headliner matchup. Oh, that would be one of the premier matchups. I mean, Jimmy Schultz going up against C.J. Seuss and Zeb Nustin and uh, Mark Mark Michaelis. It's it's a good and potent offensive unit that uh, that the Mavericks come in with, and I do think that they are going to take down Duluth. I if Duluth was going to make a push for winning a national championship, which they almost did last season. They were one of the best teams in the nation the whole year. Just Denver was slightly better. Last year was their year to make it, and I don't think they've got the full package together, especially with Hunter Miska moving on and Shepard filling in for him admirably, but not dominantly at all. And uh, Connor Lacouvet is the player to watch for the Mavericks. He's the goaltender for Mankato, and he was a BU student for a while. He was the backup under behind Matt O'Connor and then behind Sean McGuire, and then behind Jake Ottinger for three years at BU. And he wanted to leave and uh, go somewhere else where he could be the starter, and he earned that starting job in Mankato. He did struggle a bit against Michigan Tech, so that's the only concern that I might have against them. But I'll agree with you that I think Mankato will make it out. I It'll be a dogfight between them and St. Cloud ultimately, but... Uh, it'll be a beautiful matchup to get to see the Mavericks against uh, uh, against 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 uh, St. Cloud. And of course, that's the West Region in Sioux Falls, and that makes sense. Sioux Falls hosting the West Region, making a little less sense, however, is the Midwest Region being centered in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is very much not in the Midwest. And the, I mean, winner, the winner of the um, Allentown region will go to play the winner of that West region. But Allentown as the Midwest, your thoughts? Uh, I think I have a guess as to why. I mean, the last couple of years that they've held this regional tournament in Cincinnati or in the places where you would traditionally think of being in the, quote, Midwest that aren't in the that aren't in Minnesota, the turnout for attendance is, was nothing short of awful in Cincinnati last year. It's not a college hockey area, despite how close it is to Miami of Ohio. It really isn't a frequent place for them to uh, uh, for them to host things, and that's a shame. But uh, you got to be realistic with what you have. Plus. Penn State getting involved in college hockey. They want to reward that program with the opportunity to host it. They are the people putting it on. And Allentown has a brand new 8,000-person building called the PPL Center in downtown Allentown. That is that is a bit of a tongue twister, uh, which is a 
beautiful arena just from pictures alone. It's a great-looking venue, and it makes sense to have Penn State and uh, and Princeton and those teams play there. So it isn't really Midwest, but I understand why they put it there. Yeah, it worked out with their participants because, of course, Penn State will bring a fair amount of fans and alumni and students, but do note that that's about a three-hour drive from State College. Those two places are not necessarily close together, despite being in the same state. And Princeton is only about an hour and a half away, actually. So they'll bring their fair share of support as well, because it's really just a drive down I-78, and they're right there in Allentown. So they're all going to, they're both going to have a presence there and of course ohio state travels well anywhere because it's one of those schools that's big enough that they would have alumni everywhere so there will be people supporting all three of those teams and it's kind of a shame that denver the nchc champion and one of the best teams in the country all year is the odd team out in this region but of course ohio state is the top seed in it and it's it's a deserved seeding with how good the ohio state defense was and just how quality uh they played all season so it's a worthy it's a worthy setup it's a good schedule and i honestly like the bracket i don't like it quite as much as uh as the West Regional or that Northeast in in Worcester, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But this is a good collection of teams. And truthfully, even though they will have the, uh, the smallest attendance there, I still like Denver to pull out another trip to the Frozen Four. I just think they're the team best geared to make it back there. Uh, if any team is geared to try and win a national championship for the second year in a row and be the first team since the 0405 Pioneers, it's it's this edition of the Pioneers. So I like this team. I like how it's constituted. I like its championship medal. And this is, I will say, I do think this is the one matchup between Denver and Penn State in that first round. That's the only one that I could really see maybe not being close because Denver can play the up and down and track meet game and they can play the uh, stay at home, beat you up kind of hockey. Penn State only knows how to play one speed. That's a track meet kind of speed and you can't rely on only that to try and win a championship. This is the only one where I think we could see something uh, that resembles a blowout. It's also a rematch of a game that took place during last year's tournament where Denver beat Penn State 6-3 to three to advance to the Frozen Four. Yeah. I mean, it. I think Penn State is... Uh, they're a good team again, but Denver's a championship-tested team, and I think they'll end up facing Ohio State for the, uh, uh, for the regional championship. I think Princeton will see its run come to an end against an exceptionally good defensive unit that can that hung with Notre Dame in in the Big Ten championship for most of the way, and I just think Princeton's won't have quite enough in the tank to pull out another victory. 
I don't know if they could have drawn a less favorable matchup than Ohio State. Ohio State sets up extremely well against Princeton. So I'd agree with you. I'd see them moving to the regional final from that. And I actually kind of like Ohio State in that. But to, to me, Ohio State versus Denver is a toss-up game just because Ohio State plays defense so well. And if they're if they play their defense the way they they can play it, they they're going to be tough for anyone to beat in this tournament. And I kind of like them out of the Midwest. I mean, they're a good team, and they they can score as well. They're actually tenth in the country for scoring. Excuse me, eleventh in the country scoring wise. They're two spots behind Denver, so it's certainly possible for them to pull it off. But I all but one of the big things I always look for in these kinds of tournaments is do you have excuse me, do you have championship medal? Do you have championship caliber experience? And there's no team in the country that has the championship experience mixed with the talent quite the way that Jim Montgomery's unit in Denver does. So I could absolutely so that that's just a big thing for me that I look for and I think Denver will make a trip to what would be their third consecutive frozen four and although we seem to be going straight down the bracket we're going to skip over a little bit and go to the east so we can finish up with the midwest because i think we both have quite a few thoughts on that bracket the notre dame michigan tech game on friday afternoon in bridgeport i don't know what to make of this game I mean, I think Notre Dame is the better team. I, I, I think that they uh, have the medal to make it back to the Frozen Four again, and it's just kind of a weird matchup because these teams haven't played, to my knowledge, they haven't played that much against each other recently. So until we actually see them against each other on the ice, it's going to be weird imagining people in Michigan Tech jerseys playing against people in Notre Dame jerseys. Historically, that's pretty normal, actually. But uh, for us in today times, it's a little bit odd because we've just not seen that matchup yet. So I think Notre Dame is the better team. But this is the weird – I think you're going to agree with the sentiment. This is the weirdest tournament to try and pick. Yes. Yeah, it's it's an extremely odd thing to pick because, of course, hockey – changes in a hurry and if you're one of the teams that gets all the way into this tournament you're capable of beating almost any of the other teams in this tournament with a few exceptions in a few years where teams just get on a run and become essentially unbeatable but for the most part this isn't the basketball tournament where we can pencil in barring a miracle certain games that are unlikely to be upsets almost anyone can fall in this tournament now matchups matter and of course we've touched on a couple that don't set up well for certain teams penn state and denver don't necessarily you know work out well for penn state in fact both of the early both of the semifinals in the midwest seem to be poor matchups for the underdog team but the Bridgeport region's a little different because it seems 
I think Michigan Tech sets up extremely well against Notre Dame, and it should make it a more even game than one would think. I can see that. I mean, the thing is, Notre Dame does have some real momentum going their way uh, coming off that Big Ten championship, their first year in the conference. They're a rested team, and I think they know how to handle playing here. And Michigan Tech is looking for what would be their first NCAA tournament win in a long time because they had they had some dormant years until fairly recently. This is their, I think, their third tournament appearance since 2015, and it would be quite a it would be quite a thing for them to take down Notre Dame. I just like the way Kale Morris has been playing, and I would I would put Morris as the Richter Award winner right now if I uh, if. I had my way to determine the winner of that award, but it'll be a fun matchup. I'll look at this one with the most intrigue because I don't have any clear sense of who could win it, but I think, and I'll go ahead and offer a prediction that I think Notre Dame will make it back to the Frozen Four for the uh, for the second year running, but that's just off of a, this is what should happen, but hockey's weird. Oh, of course. And you don't make a prediction if you don't expect to be wrong. So there's no there's no problem in that. That's what these things are for. I also look at this Providence-Clarkson game and talk about a coin flip. I, I could really go either way in this game, especially after what I just saw out of Providence, because, again, I think – I think their semifinal win in Hockey East against Northeastern was one of their best games of the season, if not their best game of the season. And if they play like that, good luck, Clarkson. Yeah, especially I have not really liked the way Clarkson has been playing late on in the season. They've not been playing with the same sort of offensive push, the same sort of rhythm, the same sort of drive and you can it is very hard to do this but you can beat jake kiley my question is whether or not the top line of the friars which has been their driving force the offense behind eric foley and brian pino my question is whether or not if that top line can get it and if hayden hockey can play like a god if he can then uh i could absolutely seeing Providence rolling to a victory here, especially with how gifted a coach Nate Lehman is and how well he will have his guys prepared. So I can see it, especially since Clarkson offensively can play a bit like Northeastern, and you saw the formula for how to beat a speedy team like that. Have great goaltending, play tight and precise defense, and don't turn the puck over, and you can cause some real damage. So I don't know who to pick. I, I think I am going to ultimately pick Providence, but I don't think they make it back to the Frozen Four. I just don't think they're going to have enough to take down Notre Dame coming out of this regional. I could see that. I I think Notre Dame's the ostensible that they might be the largest favorite in any region just because of the way everything shapes up. But, of course, the way a Providence plays, they could smother just about anybody if they get the puck control they had Friday night because that that can take the air out of a team's tires in a hurry. 
as as we saw with with Northeastern, where that's a team that when they have the puck, they're extremely dangerous. But the easy way to stop that is to not let them get it. And Providence did a good job of that. Moving to the Northeast, I don't think Michigan is going to be able to do a good job of that. That is a tough matchup for Michigan, who is one of the worst teams in the country on the penalty kill to be facing Northeastern, much less to be facing them in Worcester, where Northeastern is sure to have a strong contingent of fans. We should note immediately that for them to even make it into the NCAA tournament for the job that uh, they've been doing so far this year in their first year without Red Berenson, it's an excellent job by the Wolverines to, uh, to make it back in. It's an excellent job by Mel Pearson to lead, uh, to lead the Wolverines back to, uh, to the NCAA tournament and a remarkable performance by him, we must say, as uh, um, as the head coach at Michigan Tech for a while, who led them the NCAA tournament last year and then took himself over here and is now a big time player in uh, a big time coach. So I think the ride ends for the Wolverines here as well. I think Northeastern will play for the uh, for the regional final for exactly the same reasons. But the most compelling matchup, and this might be because I'm a bit biased in terms of where my loyalties lie, but that BU-Cornell matchup is, I think, maybe the best on-paper matchup in this whole first round of the tournament. It really could be. Um, I, I'm partial to Minnesota State and Minnesota Duluth is just the closest on-paper matchup of, of this first round. But I could see Cornell and BU being that because, again, we've mentioned it in 2018, there is basically nobody playing as well as BU's played. They've been, since January, on fire. They lost their first game of 2018 to Maine and then won every game beyond that until the Beanpot final. They lost to Northeastern and they lost to Connecticut directly after that. And then one out from there. So this is a tough BU team. We know how loaded with talent it is. They're healthy. They're, they have everyone there. It's going to be quite the matchup. And we got to say, we're both very, I'm sure we're both very happy about how these brackets have broken out for the schools we root for. But Cornell is the top team in this region that features two teams from Boston that are playing down the road in Worcester. Not that Cornell's that far away, but they are not going to have any kind of an advantage in their region. No, they're not. But here's the thing. Those Cornell fans are loud and boisterous and crazy enough that they will absolutely make the trip down from Ithaca or from wherever. And Cornell's got alums alums all over the place so i think they'll they'll still turn out good uh, good appearances they always have a good showing and they always have great fans wherever they play i mean whenever they play against harvard at harvard they turn out in force partly just to spite harvard and all but this is this is still a, one of the most compelling matchups just because of how good cornell is but 
I don't see Cornell pulling off the victory against BU. And if I may, I'd like to lay out the case for why I think uh, I think Cornell does not stand the best of chances to advance in this tournament after the season that they've had. Go on ahead. So, Matt Galeda is an excellent first-level goaltender in college hockey. He is a freshman, though, and Princeton rattled him badly in the the, uh, ECAC tournament. That was the first time since arriving at Cornell that Galeda has been fully and completely tested, and he didn't pull off the mat, and he didn't answer the uh, answer the bell. So this is, if he does come uh, come off the mat and does come up with a big answer and does end up leading his team to a victory, then I tip my cap. However, I am not convinced that Galeda will rally himself after what was a very hard performance against Princeton. Admittedly against a great offensive team, but I don't see him bouncing back that quickly, especially with how well and how talented BU is playing. Because they can play Cornell's game, and that's what Princeton did in the ECAC tournament. They played Cornell's game to a T. Fight back through an early deficit, get the lead, lean on their line to stymie the defenders and get an empty netter in order to close things out. And I think BU is absolutely capable of playing Cornell's game in a way that I don't think the Big Red can match this season. So I think this is I think we're looking at a regional final of this will be fun. BU versus Northeastern. I that might just be Northeastern bias and well wishing for me to get another chance at the Huskies, but I really do think that that's the matchup we're looking at here for the regional final on Sunday. I don't know. I I certainly that's an interesting case to make, and I agree with everything you say about Princeton rattling Galita. My my issue with it is, I earlier in this podcast I compared BU to the 2016 Northeastern Huskies. That team went through and had a great. After the New Year run, won Hockey East. Got to the tournament and got wiped off the map by a North Dakota team that then steamrolled through everybody and won the national championship running away. So there is that part where maybe they just got beat by the best team in the country and no one was going to stand up to North Dakota at that point. But having spoken to Northeastern associate head coach Jerry Keefe about it, he mentioned that he he thought that Northeastern was kind of in happy-to-be-there mode when they got to the tournament, that they had won their – that they had accomplished their goal, that they had made their run, that they had got there, and simply being there was enough, and they played like it, and they didn't put up much of a fight against North Dakota as a result. And that's his take on it. And I was thinking about that when I look at this BU team. And I wonder if to some degree they have accomplished what they are, what they set out to accomplish already. 
Oh, with the way Quinny, with the way Quinny coaches and the way uh, the way that uh, this program is built, the expectation for Boston University is the same expectation that North Dakota and Denver have. And that is to win win championships, and yeah, that's how the season played out late on. But the way the regular season was initially set up and what their original goals were this year, they wanted to win. The uh, they wanted to go out and try to win the national championship again this year, and they thought they had the talent to do so in the regular season. So, I don't really see that being an issue for a team like BU that has had some recent success. That last year was a miracle. Hunter Miska shot away from playing in the Frozen Four, and very potentially giving Harvard a run for their money and maybe reaching the championship game. So I don't think that's uh, I don't think BU will have that kind of concern. I think they're there to win it. Same way I think Northeastern this year is absolutely in there to win the tournament. So uh, I would say I don't think that's uh, that's a real concern for this Terrier team, this particular iteration of the Terriers. Yeah, and I'll go back to that same same point with Northeastern that Adam Gaudet, Dylan Secura, and it, it, that entire line was on the team. They were they were there for that. So they've been living down that they got there and they played just happy to be there and they got wiped off the map. And this is their chance to kind of redeem that, that they're coming into Worcester with what should be a friendly crowd and a region that really sets up extremely well for the Northeastern Huskies, not just Michigan, but you've got a Cornell team that is somewhat inexperienced and provides an interesting matchup for the Huskies, although Cornell at their best has been one of the best teams in the country, and I would love to see that game in a lot of regards. And a BU team that's played Northeastern three times and not come particularly close to winning in the first two and the bean pot was a little more lopsided in score than in actual reality. BU was in that game for the bulk of that game, but it's a team they've beaten three times this season. So I look at this region as someone who's both followed Northeastern all season and as a Northeastern fan and think it, there's not a whole lot more, that they could have asked for in this tournament. Yeah. I mean, if they're going to make the frozen four, this is the year for them to go out and do it. I, if they don't make the frozen four this year with this crew and this talent that they have, it might be a long time before they get back to that level of uh, high caliber compete. I sh- well, I let me dial that back a little bit because with Caden Primo as their netminder for the next couple of years, we assume he looks outstanding and he looks like a championship goaltender. And if we're just taking his beanpot performance, then and for actually most of his performance against Providence because he played well for his part, then yeah, uh, Northeastern will be a team to build around and they can absolutely win a championship. Well, and they but, recruit well. They, I, I wouldn't count them. You know, I, I think this is the best team they've ever had. So I will couch it with that. And I don't expect that they're just going to return and be able to replace 
players of this caliber. But it's not just going to be Caden Primo coming back. It's also going to be guys like Zach Solo, who is projected to be a mid-round pick in the NHL draft and is quite the talent, the freshman forward who will presumably get a much larger role moving forward with this line kind of graduating together and leaving together. They're going to have to change over to something else, but they do recruit well. They have a bunch of guys who are being looked at by scouts. So they'll keep being around. And you have to imagine that Jim Madigan is going to keep adding scores because they found a bunch of these guys in recent years. You know, these guys, Godet and Sakura, there was also Kevin Waugh a couple of years before that. He was kind of the leader of that 2016 squad there was also zach aston reese who was a hobie baker hat trick member last year so they do produce scores and i think they'll continue to do that so if primo continues to grow they're going to be around for a while this northeastern team but i've also we've been on this all year that hockey east is kind of getting this parody where Everyone's got that coming. Everyone's got a couple of guys coming that look like they could be something really special. Oh, yeah. I think I'll go on record and say that I think UMass Amherst will be the team uh, to a team to represent Hockey East next year in this tournament, just off of how good that freshman class is. So the parity is developing, the parity is growing, but I think this is the year that Northeastern needs to make a run at it. I think they, I think think that they will the BU fan in me absolutely wants the Terriers to pull the upset and uh, continue the what would be the great revenge tour of 2018 for getting back at BC for last year's Hockey East semifinal getting back at Providence for uh, for the 2015 national championship game if we get a chance at Northeastern we would be getting back at them for uh, you guys for the bean pot and if we were to take down Cornell, we'd be getting a rematch at uh, at uh, Big Red Hockey earlier on this season. So this is a funny year for BU in which they're getting second chances against a lot of teams that they have already played earlier on in the season and with whom they have some history. So I can't look past that aspect of it for um, – uh, for BU having some real added momentum. I do think the regional final is going to end up being BU versus Northeastern, and I think that is going to be a wonderfully exciting and brutally uh, physical game between two teams that don't really get along that well. It would be, well, the previous three matchups have been heated like that. Um, the first two involved a lot of penalties. Involved a lot of iffy play and were kind of the headliners of their weekend or, well, their respective weekends because it took place over two of them where Northeastern won the home and home by a considerable margin, but it was not easy. And that was a BU team that was willing to play you know, it, they, they were willing to hit pretty hard in that game. And then you have the Beanpot final, which was, well, you talk about a revenge tour. 
I I'll talk cathartic victories with you for hours because of that bean pot final. Oh, I'm not question. <laughs> I'm not questioning that, was, that at all. That was a revenge tour and a half, and the Northeastern fan of me would say that revenge tour isn't necessarily over. Um, but as a fan, I look at this bracket and say, or look at this region and say, I don't want to see VU again. We've got our sweep. We've got our bean pot. It's good. It, it's a good time to cash in the chips on that one. I, mm-hmm. I'm fine without seeing BU again. I would be completely fine to face a Cornell team that Northeastern really, I believe the last time they faced them was in the 2009 NCAA tournament. They don't play very often. Yeah, it's been a while since uh, uh, since they met up. There's there's no history, there's no rivalry between those two teams. And on a pure hockey level, that would also be a good matchup. I mean, that would that would be a, a truly excellent matchup uh, between the two teams. But uh, I just don't think Cornell has momentum going their way. Though we are in complete agreement that Northeastern is the better team against Michigan. And that uh, well done by uh, well done by Michigan, well done by Mel Pearson to get them there. But and they'll build on they'll build on it for the future. They've got some good teams coming back, but uh, they've got a little bit more to go before they uh, are real national championship contender. And I do think Northeastern is a championship contender. They're certainly capable of making it to the Frozen Four, and they're absolutely capable of going on a run with what their offense is capable of. So uh, I would say that it it's shaping up to be a great tournament, and we're biased in favor of caring about this uh, about this conference and this regional. But I, this is the one that I'm the most excited to for, partly because I'll be there, but also partly because uh, I think it's the most personal and most rivalry-based of all the matchups here, potentially at least. Well, actually, no, in real life, because BU and Cornell don't exactly get along with each other either. I personally have a reason as a Northeastern guy to really dislike the University of Michigan right now, but it doesn't have anything to do with hockey, so I don't I don't really know how much it spills into this game. But it is an athletics thing. And what is this thing? I'm curious. The defensive coordinator at the University of Michigan's football program is a man named Don Brown. Oh, didn't he kill the Northeastern football team? Yes, he did. He was the coach of Northeastern in the early 2000s, actually while I was on campus and while I was at Northeastern. And they had, I think, the best year in their football program's history under Don Brown in 2003. Three, I believe it was they won the they won their conference which was at the time the Atlantic 10 and later became the CAA and if you want to know why Northeastern for every sport besides hockey is in the colonial that's why but Don Brown opted to become the head coach at Massachusetts Amherst but he did it in February in the middle of an offseason at the worst possible time for a coach to opt to leave a program, and he did it with pretty much no warning that anyone can speak of. So he left a team 
completely grasping at straws. They ended up with a coach named Rocky Hager, who was a personally, I, I met him, I talked to him a whole bunch of times. I interviewed him for student radio. He was a great guy, but he was the opposite of Don Brown as a coach and his players did not like him and his players quit on him and the program kind of quit on him. You know how city schools are. Northeastern was never going to build a stadium on campus anyway. So that was a football team that probably wasn't long for the world anyway, but its demise was hastened by Don Brown and the way he left that program. So the fact that he's with Michigan gives me some pause, but there's really no other history between Michigan and Northeastern, at least none that I know of or that I can think of. The only team Northeastern has history with in this region is Boston University, and they have a lot of it, and only in recent years has it been particularly good, really. That's a fair analysis. I don't know of any history between Michigan and Northeastern either. BU has history with everyone in this regional because BU and Cornell is one of the old-time ECAC matchups back when those two teams were ECAC powers in in the 60s and 70s, and they have their biannual series of Red Hot Hockey at Madison Square Garden. And it's really quite something to get to see these programs go at each other because they're proud programs, they're proud heritages, and they go at it. BU also does have some history against Michigan with past years, especially in the 90s, of uh, going at, at each other in the national tournaments. So it's a competitive scene uh, between all these teams. Really, historically, between BU and Northeastern is the only history that uh, Northeastern has for historic rivalries. But this is, uh, this is going to be a fun, fun regional, I think. Uh, at the DCU Center hosted by the College of the Holy Cross. So, I mean, this is my favorite weekend of the year. In part, I get to drive back and forth between this year Bridgeport and uh, and Worcester, and I get to be uh, surrounded by some awesome college playoff hockey. So it's a beautiful thing, and I hope everyone will be able to catch some of these games on ESPN whenever you're able to uh, to watch all this stuff. Yeah, it's on the the array of ESPN networks and channels. So, so check the. I will post the USCHO copy of the 2018 bracket to the description for this podcast. Um, if you're looking for any particular game, this is where to find out where it's playing, where you can see it. If you're looking for it on TV, the I know the. Northeast bracket that we've been talking about will be on ESPN News on Saturday. The West brackets on Friday, as well as the East and the Midwest and Northeast are on Saturday, with the conclusions being Sunday. Yeah, you're going to log a lot of miles between Worcester and Bridgeport, although it does work out all right for you that they're not that far apart. I cleared 450 miles worth of driving last year between Providence and Manchester, so I know that I can do it, and uh, it, it'll be a lot of fun. I'll have to work out the scheduling for Saturday with uh, timing between Bridgeport. Their championship game is at 6, and the Michigan versus Northeastern game is at 4.30, so the timing doesn't quite work out. But, you know, it'll still be a good time, and I'll 
uh, I'll be in as many of these games as I possibly can. And by the way, before we uh, close up shop, we just run through and uh, uh, give our thoughts on who we think will actually make it out of this madness into the Frozen Four. Not a national champion, but I want to make sure uh, and see where we are for uh, who will actually win these regionals. Yeah, I have I have no problem doing that. It's no problem. That's what these are for, is for making predictions that are sure to be wrong. <laughs> I Yeah, well, I think we are both in agreement that we think Mankato will come out of the West Regional in Sioux Falls, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, in the Midwest, I think Denver will come out of that regional, and if I remember, you think Ohio State? Yeah, I, 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 they're very close to me, but I'll go with Ohio State. Okay. From the East Regional, with the gigantic asterisks listed that this is the weirdest regional to pick, I'm picking Notre Dame, and uh, who are you picking out of that regional? I'll go, I guess I'll go with Notre Dame. <laughs> it's yeah, I, I'm with you that this is the weirdest one. I could, I could honestly see any of these four teams making it out into the Frozen Four. But yeah, I'll go with Notre Dame just to have a team down on paper. Okay, I mean, you know, Jeff Jackson's a great coach, and I'm sure that he'll lead his team on a, another potential championship run. So that's the that's the best thing I bet bet that I've got going for me right now. Uh, okay, so now in the East in the Northeast Regional in Worcester. I think on paper, well, actually, on paper, if we're just looking at the overall season, I think Cornell should be the favorite to reach the Frozen Four. But if we're going to include recent play into the equation, then I think it becomes a toss-up between between Northeastern and BU, and I don't. I think BU, with the way that they've been playing, matches up a bit better with Northeastern than they have uh, at other points this season. But I still think Northeastern is the be- is the better team coming out of this. So I think Northeastern will reach the Frozen Four this year out of the Northeast. Yeah, I've got Northeastern coming out in the Northeast. And um, part of the reason I have it is... This is the weekend where a lot of players that end up winning the Hobie Baker Award cement that they've that their campaigns to have won the Hobie Baker Award. And I could really see Adam Gaudet doing that, especially given his very strong beanpot performance, that he can play in these tournaments, he can play in these big games with the big lights on him. So I think he's the best player in this region. I think he's the best player in the country, and I think he cements that this this weekend and Northeastern goes to the Frozen Four, and I can't believe I'm saying that with some degree of confidence. <laughs> I could see that. I mean, I'll go along with uh, and agree with uh, with uh, the idea that Gaudet's the best in the uh, in the region. I think Sakura is the is the uh, is the second best player in the region. So. It's a compelling regional, and from fandom perspectives for us, too, I think absolutely the uh, most compelling for us. And I think even from a rivalry perspective, I think absolutely the most compelling of all the matchups is uh, is in Worcester, at least with the guaranteed Cornell-BU game and the potential BU-Northeastern game. So 
it'll be a fun time and it will be a great tournament for all to enjoy. I think if it works out the way you're suggesting, I think a lot of fans nationally will get their real first chance to see and Northeastern as rivals because, of course, BU's biggest rivals with Boston College, and we've seen that played out so many times on the on the biggest stages. For Northeastern and BU, they largely meet in important games during the Bean Pot, and the Bean Pot, as much as we talk about it, it is one of the biggest tournaments of the college hockey year. But it's also not nationally broadcast, at least not nationally broadcast in America. And it, I don't know how many people have seen what the crowd is like in a, in a ostensibly neutral venue between Northeastern and BU and what those games are like. And I think this would be a good national crash course in that rivalry should it come to that. Um, like I said, as a fan, I, I, I don't want to roll those dice again just because it's gone so well in the first three games that it can own at that point, it, it, the risk is too high, but that could be a great matchup. And likewise for us back East, we're going to learn a lot about these Minnesota schools and how much they hate each other in that Sioux Falls region. That that's why I keep looking forward to these games. All of those teams have an extensive history with one another. You know, Air Force aside, and Air Force could end up going to the Frozen Four out of that region, and people shouldn't be too surprised. You know, but outside of Air Force, those th- the other three teams despise each other. Oh yeah, I mean, jeez, uh, I mean Duluth, and well, the funny thing is. Duluth barely made it in over the Gophers of Minnesota. And could you imagine the Gopher fans churning out and going up against Mankato? That would have been that would have been fun as well. I mean, we get Duluth, which also a great fan base, and we'll also churn out en masse because Sioux Falls in South Dakota isn't that far away from this state of hockey. So it is pretty close and they'll draw good crowds all things considered st cloud will as well so that one i will i'll expect that regional will probably be the best attended out of all of these regionals and maybe the most compelling maybe but you know that's why we play the games this weekend it depends how it breaks out i could see the worcester region being completely full yeah i mean as long as there isn't a uh, stupid blizzard that uh, shuts out the uh, that shuts down worcester for a while which for the record, while we are recording this at 3.30 in the afternoon, it is not snowing in Malden. It's just very cloudy and not that good, really. I have no idea when slash if it might hit up here in the Northeast. All right, so we have our, our potential Frozen Four teams. Any other, um, any other things from this weekend that you're looking forward to that we haven't quite mentioned yet? I... I think we pretty much covered everything. I I will say I am very curious to see what that Bridgeport regional is like for attendance purposes, just because I want to see how well the Clarkson fans travel. I want to see if Providence can gin up their fans and get them out there. And I want to see how national the Notre Dame alum base and fan base is. 
just that those would be the two things that I look at with a sense of that would be really interesting to get to see what they could do. I I could see that. And I likewise we kind of touched on this already with the Allentown region, but the atmosphere in those build that building might be a bit strange. I I think that might be we expect that to be a very Penn State sided regional in terms of the crowd. But what if Penn State doesn't win that first game? And honestly, I see it being Penn State alumni and Penn State fans and not so much Penn State students. Because again, it might sound like home ice advantage, but it would be like saying BU fans should have no problem traveling to Burlington, Vermont, which they don't, but it's still quite a drive. Yeah, it's a big state out there in uh, in Pennsylvania. And it, it is a weird place to hold a tournament. There, there are good reasons for it, but uh, I... I totally understand why it's out there. So the it's a it's a good market for that kind of a thing, and that's the appropriate kind of size of a venue for a regional. And it's a brand new building, as you mentioned, that has gotten rave reviews. They do very well by the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, the AHL team that plays there. So there is interest in hockey in general, and that will help this. That will help. This is not exactly Cincinnati, is what I'm getting at with Allentown. But it will just be interesting to see who shows up because it's a it's in some ways a strange venue based on who's hosting it and who's in this particular region. And just to close, my favorite Allentown fun fact. You know, Billy Joel hasn't played a live show there since 1982. The guy who wrote the song Allentown. <laughs> Why? Not not a big enough venue for him, I guess? Uh, to a degree. Uh, yeah, I guess that, that would be part of it. They do have a fairgrounds, and those tend to be large venues. But yeah, I could see that being part of it. It hasn't always been the most desirable place to go, that, that town. Uh, I, I'm trying to put it as delicately as I can. Um... At times, it's it's kind of like Lawrence, Massachusetts without the charm. Well, in one of the most famous uh, songs in the history of Broadway ever, The Lullaby of Broadway from 42nd Street, the song opens up with Julian Marsh uh, saying to, uh, saying to, uh, to Peggy, what was that word you said? Allentown? I'm offering you the biggest role in Broadway in the last 30 years, and you say Allentown. It, it has gained a famous uh, thing as being a byword for being kind of nowhere. For the hockey world, of course, it's not nowhere for this weekend. Um, I, do, I do hope that changes. I do hope that uh, this regional turns out the people and uh, gets, them, gets them interested and uh, produces some compelling action. That would, that would be good for the development of college hockey. And also... Uh, I don't know where else. I think we might discuss this a bit more in a, in a week's time or something like that. But it'd be great to see Illinois eventually uh, get to host another another uh, tournament like this. And it'd be great to see the University of Illinois actually put that plan of starting a college hockey team into motion. Yeah, I saw that they they released a report. 
that we'll talk about in the coming weeks and it will be something we can fill the off season with because it can be a it can be kind of a quiet off season in college hockey although with the coaching changes that's going to be interesting coming coming up after the after the NCAA tournament but we have a lot to go through and the best weekend of the year in college hockey still to come so Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Puck University's 2018 NCAA Tournament Preview. Thank you for joining us. Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com. You're obviously working on tournament stuff this week. You'll be at both the Bridgeport and the Worcester Brackets. Where can people find you on social media? You can find my socials uh, at CC Lynch Wall, all lowercase. I'm the word wall at the end of CC and Lynch on Twitter, and you can find me at Lynch 16 on uh, Instagram. And while we're talking about writing about college hockey, I'll actually be writing about college hockey this week for Sports Talk Florida because we've got one player from the Gulf Coast of Florida that is playing this weekend and another that isn't, but a couple of hockey's freshmen from down in this part of the country are starting to really get involved with their programs. So if you want to read more about Logan Hutsko and Zach Solo, I'll be writing about that for Sports Talk Florida later this week. Ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful weekend. Best of luck to all your teams that aren't playing in the Northeast region against Northeastern. And ladies and gentlemen, as always, keep your head up and your hits clean. Oh,